Colossians chapter 2. If you'll remember as we've been going through the book of Colossians, we've seen that it's one of the prison epistles that Paul writes, and he writes it in response to his friend Epaphras who founded or helped found the church at Colossae. And Epaphras was concerned about a lot of the false teaching that was going on, not in the church, but in the city of Colossae. He was concerned that it would find its way into the church. And there's two specific teachings that Paul deals with. Uh, One was legalistic Judaism, uh, salvation by works of the law, and certainly um, we've seen that in the book of Galatians and different places. Uh, But also a a mysticism, which that's simply like a, a supernatural pursuit of God outside of the revelation He's given us in Scripture. And and we're really going to see Paul breaks those two things down very specifically in the text that we're going to be in. But over the past couple of weeks, uh, we looked at uh, to what it means to be incomplete without Christ and some things that will keep you from Christ, uh, specifically false uh, worldly humanistic philosophy, the traditions of men, Uh, things of that nature. But then last week we looked at what it means to be complete in Christ. We're complete. If you're saved, you're complete in Jesus Christ. You're 100% saved. You're accepted by God. You have a home in heaven. Uh, You've been brought into a right relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And there's nothing you can add to or take away from that. You're complete in Jesus Christ. That'll give you a lot more sleep at night if you really believe that. But Paul begins to shift gears a little bit in the text we're going to be in today. And it's, it, I'm going to say this probably a hundred times throughout the course of this message because I, I want you to understand the context. The context is always important. But in texts like this morning, it's really important because I don't want you to be confused about who we're talking about. Paul is talking to these Colossian believers who have been made complete in Christ. He knows who he's talking to. And so... Uh, he, is, he is going to be giving them advice about some things that can uh, lead them astray after they get saved. And the two things he's going to look at is legalism and mysticism. And here's what I want you to know. I do believe, especially for young Christians, I do believe it's possible that true born-again Christians can be confused by legalism And they can be confused by mysticism. No doubt about that. But here's what I would say about that. If if they never grow up, and if there's never any discernment that is developed in their lives, I would be very I would be very concerned about their salvation. Uh, It's not a question of whether a Christian can be confused by these things. That's definitely true. But the fact that they can stay in these things and stay deceived by these things for their whole life, I would be really concerned about that. And so understand that distinction that I'm making today. That's very important. I'm not, I'm not looking at that crowd in general and saying, well, they're definitely saved. They're definitely a Christian. These are just Christians you know, that we might disagree with on secondary issues. I'm not making that claim this morning. We're talking about true born-again Christians that can be confused by those things. And so with that in mind, let's read our text this morning. Colossians 2, beginning in verse 16. Paul says, Let no man therefore judge you in meat or in drink, 
or in respect of an holy day, or of the new moon, or of the Sabbath days, which are a shadow of things to come, but the body is of Christ. Let no man beguile you of your reward in a voluntary humility and worshiping of angels, intruding into those things which he hath not seen, vainly puffed up by his fleshly mind, and not holding the head from which all the body by joints and bands, having nourishment ministered and knit together, increaseth with the increase of God. Wherefore, if ye be dead with Christ from the rudiments of the world, why as though living in the world are you subject to ordinances? Touch not, taste not, handle not, which all are to perish with the using, after the commandments and doctrines of men, which things have indeed a show of wisdom and will worship and humility and neglecting of the body, not in any honor to the satisfying of the flesh. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just come to you in Jesus' name. We're so thankful for your goodness to us. Thank you for all those that have come today, God, that have just marked off this time to set aside everything else and to come together and worship and magnify the Lord Jesus Christ and to hear from his word. I pray if there's one loss, you'd save them. Uh, God, draw them to repentance and saving faith in Jesus Christ. Uh, Lord, if those, there's those at the sound of my voice that maybe they have been sidelined or confused by some of these things because these things are so relevant and they're so, uh, they're just so, uh, prevalent in the society in which we live. Lord, enter me in sin, self, and fill me your Holy Spirit. And we'll thank you and praise you for it. In Christ's name I pray these things. Amen. So I want to, I want to preach on the thought this morning of confused Christianity. Confused Christianity. 1 Corinthians 14 and verse 33 tells us that God is not the author of confusion, but of peace, as in all the churches of the saints. But there are some things that if we're not careful, we can be confused by them. There are a lot of things that appear to be Christian. They appear to be biblical. They, they appear uh, to be a part of the church of Jesus Christ, but they're not Listen, Satan is too smart to show up with horns and a pointy tail and a pitchfork breathing fire from his nostrils. He's not that dumb. Satan is going to look as close to the real thing as he possibly can and yet still be damnable enough to send people to hell or to steal their joy. And, you know, the Bible says in 1 Corinthians that Satan appears as an angel of light. And so it's, it's no marvel that even his ministers appear as angels of light. Wait, wait a second. Satan has ministers? <laughs> Satan has preachers? Yes, he has preachers. He has ministers. He has churches. He has religions. He has cults. And most all of these things, certainly in this country, at least make an attempt to look Christian. We're reminded of that every time we walk out this door. And so we have to have the discernment to be able to tell the difference between the true and the false because it's, it can be really scary. Uh, and we need, to look, we need to pay attention to these things. I only have, as I always say, don't get excited. I've only got two points this morning, but don't get excited. <laughs> And so the, the question that I want to try to wrestle with this morning is, what are the signs of Christian confusion? And I use the term Christian in air quotes 
Because once again, I, I do believe that true Christians can be fooled for a time by these things. But false Christians are going to live here. That's what we have to get about this. The first thing we need to be aware of concerning Christian confusion is what I would call religious righteousness. Religious righteousness. Look at verse 16. Now, up to this point in chapter 2, Paul has talked about true religion that is complete in Jesus Christ, the true gospel and the true Christ. And for those that are complete in Him, this is the audience that Paul is now speaking to. Verse 16, Let no man therefore, because of the salvation in Christ, let no man therefore judge you in meat or in drink or in respect of a holy day or of the new moon or of the Sabbath days, which are a shadow of things to come, but the body is of Christ. Now we're definitely going to get a lot of application from this text in our present day situation. But before I jump straight to application, I do want to remind you that Paul was dealing with a specific audience that was facing a specific problem and a false teaching. And you understand this first century church was a Jewish church. I hope you understand that. And what I mean by that is the church started in Pentecost in Jerusalem with the Israelites, with the Jews. And so they were converted Jews. The overwhelming majority of the early church was converted Jews. And you have to try to put yourself in a Jewish mindset. They were raised on the rule book. They were raised on the thou shalt nots and the thou shalt and this ceremony and that holy day and, and this feast. And, and so this is their mindset. These are the things that makes us right with God. And so even after they came to Christ, they're truly born again. It's just, it's so hard. I heard it said one time, talking about the fleshly nature, that it took the Lord one day to get the Israelites out of Egypt, but it took 40 years to get Egypt out of them. And isn't that true, the sanctification process in our own life? Look, we came that Christ brought us unto salvation in a moment in time, in an instant. And yet, at the moment we're saved, that, that sanctifying process as far as prog- progressional sanctification begins in our life, where He begins to make us less like us and more like Him. That's a lifelong process. And, and so, you can just understand, having grown up in that environment, they don't just immediately shed all of those things the moment they get saved. They're going to be battling with those things. And these false teachers knew how susceptible these young converts were to the old ways. They tried to bring them back to the old ways. This, like I said, it's the whole purpose of the book of Galatians. I'm not going to rehash that. We spent almost 30 weeks in the book of Galatians, but we saw that, didn't we? How that uh, these, these false teachers came in and basically said that, well, yes, Jesus Christ is the only way to heaven, but you still got to do all these other things to, to get to Jesus. You have to become an Old Testament Jew and keep the law. And you men, you have to be circumcised or you can't even be saved. You can go look at a lot of that confrontation in Acts chapter 15. They literally said that if these Gentile male converts were not circumcised, they could not be saved. That's the kind of burdens we're talking about. This is the kind of environment that we're talking about. The Colossian believers were ripe for this kind of deception. And so Paul is warning the believers at Colossae not to fall into this trap. In fact, in the specific context of things he lists, uh, Paul is dealing with certain uh, Jewish tradition. 
Uh, let no man judge you in meat and in drink. That's talking about the Old Testament dietary laws. Uh, speci- one specific example would be abstaining from pork. Um, the holy days, which is where we get the word holiday from. Holy days and new moons, which the, that has to do with the Jewish feast and the celebrations. And then there's the, the Sabbath day, which was Saturday. And, and sometimes they had a, a floating Sabbath. And so the thought process goes like this. I know I'm saved through Christ, but I bet that God would be more pleased with me if I abstained from pork. He would be more pleased with me if I still kept the Old Testament feast and celebrations. He would be more pleased with me if I worship on a certain day of the week. This is the mindset. I'm saved, but God would be more pleased with my life if I subjected myself to these rules. It's all about the rules. Um, But here's the problem. If you're in Christ, you are complete. God is 100% pleased with you because as I said last week... He's 100% pleased with Christ. God can't be more or less pleased with you because He can't be more or less pleased with Christ. We're talking about our position in Christ. So what happens is a well-meaning Christian, and in this case, Jewish-minded Christians, they heap all of these unnecessary burdens upon themselves for no reason. No reason at all. They cost themselves joy. They cost themselves uh, the liberty that's in Christ. And they, they haven't pleased God anymore at all. I mean, think about this just in a practical sense, since we're talking about these Old Testament rules, uh, talking about people judging you and meat or drink, um, abstaining from pork. Guess what that means, folks? No bacon. No ham. No pork ribs. And this really hurt me, okay? No barbecue. Oh, I need to hold myself up here. That's blasphemy. (laughs) Pork. Listen, when you get some of that bacon, I'm talking about some hickory smoke or maple flavor, and you throw it on that hot skillet and it goes, that's the Shekinah, okay? (laughs) And yet they, they can't have it. Because somehow God would be more pleased if they abstained from it when the New Testament clearly states that those things have been done away with and it's all clean, baby. Eat it. All of it's good. And so God is not any more pleased with you if you're eating bacon or you're not eating bacon so you might as well enjoy it. Amen. God knows how to give good gifts unto His children and nothing to be refused if it's received with thankfulness. And I'm thankful. Doctor, however, is different. Moving on, I hear. You know, when I'm really preaching well, that's when Satan likes to hinder. So I'm just going to keep on running, amen. But another thing, and we can identify with this in the present day, uh, groups like the Seventh Day Adventists, they they claim that. Uh, We're of Satan because we're not worshiping God on Saturday. You know, the Jewish Sabbath is Saturday. And so they say that, you know, we don't have a direct command from God uh, to worship on Sunday, but it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. We just read, don't let any person judge you in respect of a certain holy day or new moon or Sabbath days. And in fact, we, we do have precedent in the New Testament for what we're doing right now. Right. In fact, 
You can look in Acts chapter 20 when Paul describes a worship service going on in the early church. Guess what? They were breaking bread on the first day of the week. That's Sunday. In fact, the Christians started doing that because that's the day that the empty tomb was discovered. We worship on Sunday because Sunday is resurrection day. We have both biblical and historical precedent for doing that. Now, I don't know that I would call uh, Sunday Christian Sabbath. I think it kind of messes up the meaning of Sabbath. Uh, but, but we don't have to be bound to that. But, but those people, they think that God is more pleased with them and less pleased with us because we worship on a, a day that's not Saturday. That's nonsense, folks. It's unnecessary burdens and it makes people feel more spiritual than they really are. Uh, the Lord isn't concerned with these things. But, but let me say this about rules in general. Uh, rule keeping isn't unique to the Jews. It's ingrained within human nature. Uh, rule keeping can give us a sense of worth, accomplishment, and structure. And many times, rules can be easier than liberty. And I'm actually reading a book right now called Becoming Free Indeed. It was written by Ginger Duggar. If you're familiar with the, the Duggars, with I forget how many kids they lived off. It was like 20-something kids and counting. It was a lot of them. But uh, Ginger Duggar is now, she's grown, she's married, she's moved out, and she just recently released a book called Becoming Free Indeed. And it's about the way that she was raised. And she's not slamming her parents. This is not a hit piece. But she's talking about a lot of the rules that they grew up with. You see, the Duggars were very entwined with a man by the name of Bill Gothard. And Bill Gothard is a false teacher. Uh, he's fooled a lot of independent Baptists. He's fooled a lot of conservative Christians. Uh, but he has, he has a system um, in which he has seven life-changing principles that must be adhered to. They fall into the categories of design, authority, responsibility, suffering, ownership, freedom, and success. In fact, Goddard really became a big deal because back in the 60s and 70s was when uh, the sexual revolution was taking place. It's when the drugs really started uh, getting out in the open and having an effect on uh, the younger generation. And people were terrified that they were going to lose their children. They were going to lose that generation. And here Gothard comes on the scene and he has, he has this system of rules. And he basically said, listen, if you follow my system, then you'll keep your children. You'll be successful in your business. God will bless every aspect of your life. All you have to do is this. And that guy was filling up football stadiums. Tens of thousands of people show up to hear this guy because fear led them into a system of rules. That's the way it always happens. And as I am reading this book by Ginger Duggar, I'm just amazed at the level of, uh, I mean, tyranny, I guess is the word for it. I mean, in fact, I've got this quote. This is what Ginger Duggar said. She said, ultimately, Gothard's seven principles produced exhaustion and fear in my life. I was consumed with being introspective, overcome by paranoia. I obsessively dissected my life, my thoughts, words, and actions because I was terrified that a sin might sneak in and cause me to lose God's blessings. If I forgot to ask forgiveness for a single sin, I felt condemned. I believed that I needed to know everything God had taught 
and that I needed to obey every one of his principles and their associated rules, no matter how obscure. Otherwise, my life would be a failure. Nothing about Scripture, nothing about freedom in Christ. It's all about if I don't adhere to this man's rules and this system, I'm going to lose God's blessings. That's what a system of rules does for people. It, 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 puts a, it throws them a bone. It, it sets them a goal to say, if you do these things, then God will do these things for you and things will be great and life will just be grand. And that's just not, that's not Scripture. That's not the Gospel. And so we need to be careful about these things, even in our own life, maybe some things that we grew up with and some things that we've had pounded in our head that robs us from the freedom and liberty that's in Christ. And I'll say this one more thing about Gothard, and I'll move on, but I just, I just found this so amazing to me. This man hosts marriage conferences and parenting conferences all over the world. The man's never been married, and he's never had any children. Like he knows anything of what he's talking about. I need to counsel him on marriage and children, okay? It's just insanity. But when you, when you buy into the system and when you get afraid of something, you'll, you'll buy into the clearest voice at the time. And it's a scary place to be. Don't, don't ever let your decisions be governed by fear other than the fear of God. If you fear God, you don't have to fear anything else. But if you don't fear God, you'll fear everything else. And so we need to be careful about these man-made rules and understand that when it comes to serving the Lord as a Christian, there are some biblical mandates. Don't get me wrong. There's, some, there's biblical mandates and then there's personal convictions. Now, a, a biblical mandate would be something like don't commit adultery. I mean, that goes for pornography too, by the way, because Jesus said if you look at a woman with lust, you've committed adultery in your heart already. Those are not up for debate. That's not like a personal Christian conviction, all right? If you, if you cheat on your men, if you cheat on your wife, or she walks in and catches you watching pornography, go ahead and tell her that, well, that's just not my conviction, and see how that goes. <laughs> we understand that's a biblical mandate. <clears throat> but a, a personal Christian conviction, that's the whole point of Romans chapter 14. There are some gray areas where the Bible does not expressly condemn or condone something, and then it becomes an issue of Christian liberty. And the, the, one of the examples that Paul gave in Romans 14 is uh, one of the weaker brothers uh, feels like it's wrong to eat meat. And so the other Christian brother believes it's okay to eat meat. Uh, if you run into somebody like that, you're not to condemn them or make bacon jokes or... Whatever else, you're supposed to love them as a brother in Christ. And for the person that thinks it's wrong to eat meat, you shouldn't despise the brother that thinks it's okay to eat meat. That's a matter of Christian liberty. And you can get in a ditch on either side of that as far as who you condemn and don't condemn. <clears throat> and so, um, but, but here's the thing we have to get. When it comes to both biblical mandates and personal convictions, the motivation is not the consequences. The motivation is to honor the Lord Jesus Christ. That ought to be your motive. Listen, uh, the reason that I don't want to cheat on my wife is not just because it would hurt her and hurt my family, possibly break up our family, destroy my testimony, destroy my ministry and all that. All those are bad things that I don't want to have to deal with. But that's not the number one reason that I want to be faithful to my wife. 
The number one reason is because I want to honor the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen, I wouldn't give a wooden nickel to hear a man preach this book that didn't treat his wife with love and respect. I wouldn't do it. I've got nothing for somebody that says one thing from this book and doesn't even practice it on those closest to him. I wouldn't, I wouldn't listen to one thing they had to say. And by the way, if that was me, you shouldn't listen to one thing I have to say. What do I have to tell you if y'all see me mistreating my own family? What do I have to say to you? And so we need to understand that the motive for both biblical mandates and personal convictions is to honor the Lord Jesus Christ. <clears throat> Romans 14 verse 17 says, For the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. Confused Christianity thinks that rules make us more righteous than someone else who isn't following the rules. Not only does this rob us of our joy and heap upon ourselves unnecessary burdens, but it also robs Christ of His glory. I mean, even in the examples that we're dealing with here in Colossians 2, think about this for a second. The focus shouldn't be on meat and drink, but the fact that Christ is the bread of life and the living water. The focus is not on what day we worship or the Sabbath, it's the fact that Christ is our Sabbath rest. We find that in Hebrews chapter 4. Um, look at verse 17. Which are a shadow. Those things are a shadow of things to come. But the body is of Christ. What Paul is saying is the only purpose that those things ever served was to act as a shadow or a picture of Christ. And Christ is the real thing. And now that He's come and paid the sin debt, we don't have any room for these things anymore. We don't need an earthly priest because Christ is our great high priest. We don't need a temple because we're the temple and Christ dwells within us. We don't need a mediator between God and man because Christ is the mediator. He is all these things. And so don't be confused by religious righteousness. When you understand that you're righteous before God for no other reason than because Christ has imputed our righteousness to us, when you finally get that, then you'll stop being burdened by all these rules. And you'll understand that even the things that you do and don't do are because you want to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and love your neighbors yourself. That's our motivation. When you, listen, when you do that, you won't even necessarily need all the rules. Rules are for lawbreakers. Like I said, I don't, need, I don't need to go back to Exodus and say, Oh man, thou should not commit adultery. Come on. Thou should not kill. Are you serious? No, because my motivation is to love God with everything i got and love my neighbor. And when I'm doing those things, I don't necessarily have to have the rule book. The rule book cannot be motivation within itself. It just can't be. That's when people become overwhelmed and they just explode like a Pepsi bottle has been shaken up. they got the wrong motivation. So don't be confused by religious righteousness. But then number two, we don't need to be confused by, I call this a radical righteousness. Look at verse 18. Let no man beguile your fool you, is what that means, uh, of your reward in a voluntary humility and worshiping of angels, intruding into those things which he hath not seen, vainly puffed up by his fleshly mind, 
and not holding the head from which all the body by joints and bands having nourishment ministered and knit together increaseth with the increase of God. So he was dealing with these Judaistic legalizers. Now he's moved on to this mysticism. And no doubt during this time he was probably dealing with the Gnostics. I've mentioned that before. And uh, the Gnostics believed that you know God spoke to them in extra biblical ways, visions and dreams and uh, certain feelings or sensations or I guess we could use in modern day terminology a burning in the bosom or, or something of that nature. And so um, for some reason, people are just suckers for the big and the flashy. That's true in the church, the professing church. It just seems so spiritual for someone to say things like God told me or I had a visit, I had a visit from an angel. Or I went up and saw heaven. You know, Paula White recently went to heaven and somehow she didn't die. (laughs) Um, It sounds real spiritual for people to say, well, I could speak with a heavenly tongue or I was slain in the spirit or, or all these things that are so prevalent in our day. But when people really buy into this mentality, it can make others, other Christians seem dry and boring. I mean, really what y'all, y'all preach the Bible. Y'all sing those old hymns? Are you serious? That's so boring and dry. Listen, it's never been dry to the sheep. Sheep have always liked sheep food and they can't stand goat food. By the way, goats can't stand sheep food, so I'm just going to keep feeding the sheep. How about that? If I ever start serving goat food, guess who's going to show up? The goats. Charles Spurgeon said, I fear a day... When pastors will be entertaining the goats instead of feeding the sheep. I don't have any intentions of feeding and entertaining goats anytime soon. Um, but this, this radical righteousness, this mentality, uh, it, it's an elitist mentality. They're not Christians like we are. And, and young Christians can certainly be deceived by this. But we should be concerned if they never develop any type of discernment. I don't believe they'll be there forever if they're really God's sheep. He's going to hear their voice, not follow a stranger. That's what Jesus said. And what I'm fixing to say in the, the last few minutes of, of this message, it's as serious of a warning as you're ever going to hear from me. And I believe this with all of my heart, what I'm about to tell you. I believe the most dangerous movement within the professing church is what is known as the New Apostolic Reformation, or NAR is what it's referred to. The New Apostolic Reformation. Um, There's a resource online. It's really good. Most of their stuff is really solid. But I found a great synopsis on uh, gotquestions.org. They're very solid with most stuff they, they believe and teach. But it says this about the NAR. And the New Apostolic Reformation, apostles are seen as the highest of all spiritual leaders, being specially empowered by God, true maturity and unity. Y'all hear that radical righteousness. True maturity and unity, per the New Apostolic Reformation, is only found in those who submit to the leadership of their apostles. According to this teaching, as the church unifies behind the apostles, these leaders will develop greater and greater supernatural powers. Eventually, this will include the ability to perform mass healings, and suspend the law of physics. Uh, These signs are meant to encourage a massive wave of converts to Christianity. These apostles are also destined to be recipients of a great wealth transfer in the end times. 
which will enable the church to establish God's kingdom on the earth. Very dangerous stuff. Paul said that this kind of super spiritual mindset, the the worshiping of angels and, and seeing visions that they actually didn't see, that's of a fleshly, puffed up mind that ignores the true head, which is Jesus Christ. Now, the stuff we're talking about is very sensual and emotional. It's a, it's a quarter inch deep and a mile wide. And when I talk about the New Apostolic Reformation, I'm talking about things like Bethel Church, things of that nature, um, Bill Johnson, Redding, California. That's the, to me, Bethel Church is the tip of the spear. And what's concerning to me about this is really, if you go back to the Second Great Awakening in the 1800s, I've mentioned this before, but the Second Great Awakening was a, was a man-made attempt to imitate the First Great Awakening. It produced men like Charles Finney, who was an absolute heretic, and why so many Christians give him so much love, I'll never understand. That man was a heretic. And this is where all the cults come from. You know, you have uh, Mormonism, Joseph Smith's vision in 1830, uh, all the way up to uh, 1879, Jehovah's Witness. And in between that, you had uh, Mary Baker Eddy and Christian Science. And then by the early 1900s, you have the makings of the charismatic movement. All that happened within about a 70-year span. And it's because uh, at that time, for the first time in history, people really began to get away from the validity of Scripture, at least in this way. It's not like everybody had always been, you know, so dedicated to the Bible, but there's always been people that really believe that. But this is the first time they got away in such a a mystical manner. And they began to place emotions on the same level as Scripture. And if you think about it, the LDS Church have their own apostles. They believe they have a direct line to God. They are the authority. What they say is God. What they say is gospel. What they say is truth in their book. But then you have, you know, the Catholics, they don't call them apostles, but they've got their own men that are receiving continual and changing revelation from God. All of the Eastern religions have their own shaman, they've got their own priests, they've got their own uh, bishops, whatever you want to call them, that receive direct revelation from God. Uh, the spirit or whatever that whatever they call God. And what what's scary about the new apostolic reformation for the first time in church history, you have a very large movement. This has not been done in the corner. <clears throat> you have a very large group of people, a very large group of churches that are trying to redo church government. Where you have apostles and prophets at the top that are in line with God and everybody else including pastors are under them. And it's gotten so crazy that you might have a handful of apostles and prophets that are above several churches. I could go online right now and I could register Grace Baptist Church to be under a certain group of of apostles and prophets and they get to call the shots in this church. There's a lot of people doing that because they have so much faith and trust in these men. And what's so scary about that is so now you have a movement within the evangelical church that adheres to the voice of apostles and prophets instead of the Word of God. And when you have such a large group of people, whether it be Mormons, Catholics, the evangelical church, the Eastern religions, 
and all of their authority rests in men, sinful men that are living today, those men can be bought, they can be bribed, they can be deceived, they can be intimidated, and whatever choices they come to, everybody under them is going to follow them hook, line, and sinker. Guess what the Antichrist is going to do when he gets here? He's going to yoke everybody up, and how is he going to do it? Because he's going to bribe and intimidate and scare and deceive those at the top, and everybody else is going to follow just like the Pied Piper. Listen and listen good. You better be careful about all this Christian stuff that's out there today. I'm telling you, Bethel Church and their teachings and their so-called prophets and their music is straight out of hell. You say, well, they've got some good music. Well, listen, you know who was over music in heaven before he got kicked out? Satan was. When he was Lucifer, he was over all the music in heaven. And I want you to, if you really listen to the word, you better really listen to the words of the worship music you're listening to. Because I'm going to tell you what, most of this new stuff, if you really listen to it, it's so vague and it lacks doctrine so horribly that you could take those same songs and sing them to the Antichrist when he gets here and he's going to be just fine with it. You better be careful. Um, Music has controlled a lot of people. It's controlled masses. It's disarmed people. I was... uh, I was reading a book recently by Costi Hinn. Costi Hinn is the nephew of Benny Hinn. Benny Hinn is in the NAR. He's, you know, he supposedly has authority from God and healing power that he does not possess. And Costi, when he 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 was talking about, see, he worked for Benny Hinn. He was in that ministry. He was one of the catchers. Whatever, uh, you know, Benny Hinn would supposedly knock somebody up. Uh, Costi was one of the catchers. And when he was talking about their services they had, he said they would, he said they would have concerts for three hours. Three, sometimes even six hours. Um, to, it, it was just mindless, over and over, repetitive. Uh, you know, even the Bible talks about vain repetitions and vain jangling. It's pagan to the core. And it gets people... Uh, you know, it kind of disarms them and it gets to their emotions. And then by the time Benny Hinn does his thing, they're just ripe for deception. It's the occult 101. We need to be careful about that. And so when, when, you, when you hear of these so-called Christian churches that uh, are apostles and prophets, those offices have been done away with, they've got a direct line to God, that is nonsense. That puts them at a higher level of authority than even Scripture itself. When you look at LDS doctrine, they make it a point to say they believe the Bible in so much as it is interpreted correctly. Well, who gets to do that? Well, Joseph Smith and his boys. And so, uh, man, we've got to be careful about this. Um, but here's the thing. We don't need signs and wonders. Christ already rose from the dead. We don't need any apostles. We have what they wrote. We have what the apostles wrote. We don't need any new ones. You know why this book is in our laps today? It's because the early church, they recognized these were God's men. They could do miracles, the likes of which had never been seen. Peter, he could walk past a line of people and even his shadow overshadowing them, they would be healed. You show me an apostle that's doing that today. The apostle Paul He could send out pieces of his handkerchief and if somebody touched it, they would be healed. Nobody's doing that. 
They could raise the dead. They ain't doing that. Anybody can say they're an apostle. But in order to be an apostle, biblically, you had to be a, a witness of the resurrection. You had to be personally commissioned by Jesus Christ. And you had to prove it with the power of signs and wonders. Nobody can fit that bill today. And the reason that we have the Bible is the early church recognized these were God's men and what they said was inspired. And we need to get it recorded and we need to put it together and we need to circulate it among the churches. They were consumed by what the apostles wrote and said because they knew it was the Word of God. That's also why the apostles never appointed successors. You know, the... (laughs) The LDS church didn't even come around until 1,800 years after that. That's why they call them Latter-day Saints. They were late to the game. And yet somehow they have apostolic succession? Give me a break. Or the, Cat- the Roman Catholics who have hijacked church history and try to prove that Peter was the first pope and all that? Nonsense. But they understand that if they can ever get people to believe they have this kind of authority, they're going to be in control of everything. They're not, they're not held accountable by Scripture, and they don't want you to be, they want you, they want you to be accountable to them. We don't need apostles. We have what they wrote. We don't need any hidden revelation. We have the Word of God. Great Puritan John Owen said, if extra biblical revelations agree with Scripture, they're needless. But if they disagree with Scripture, they're false. We don't need it. All this mess about, uh, you know, oh, I see somebody in the crowd, you've got cancer, you've got this and that. That's, all that stuff is nonsense. All this predicting your future, nonsense. And, and Christians can get so terrified by that. Uh, years ago, I preached a funeral for a young man. He was 18 years old. He overdosed. And, uh, man, there were so many people there, so many people that I didn't know. And about a year after that, Somebody reached out to me through Facebook and they said, you don't know me, but I was related to the young man that passed away and I was at the funeral that day and he said, I just thought that maybe you could help us, but uh, you know, my wife is just, she just stays stressed all the time because she's so worried about the future and she got so stressed out that she went to talk to a psychic medium to try to find out what her future was about. Now, these are people that claim the name of Christ now. This psychic, which by the way, that's, that's just a fancy word for a witch. She told this lady that within three years she was going to get cancer and die. Told her that. And he asked me if that was possible. Did they really know the future like that? And I said, well, if, if she's a real witch, well, obviously if she's fake, you don't have to worry about it. But I said, if she's a real witch, she gets her knowledge from satanic powers. And Satan doesn't even know the future, not extensively. And the verse that came to my mind was when he challenged, when Satan challenged God about Job and basically said that, you know, Job just worships you because you bless him. And if you take away all his blessings, he'll curse you. He was wrong about that. He got embarrassed about that. If he had known what Job would do, he never would have opened his mouth. And, and the guy was just like, oh, my goodness, that... That just gives me so much relief to hear that. And lo and behold, she didn't get cancer and she's still here and still being a mother to her kids. But, but people will put that kind of trust in so-called preachers and apostles. You better not listen to them. If I, if I was to get up here 
and say God spoke to me or God told me or God's given me a word, you just say, well, time to eat. Let's hit the restaurant. God told me is no substitute for what God said. You want to hear from God? Open His mouth. Because He's revealed Himself in Scripture. That's how He chose to reveal Himself. And I'm so terrified for this generation because truth has been dumbed down to nothing but our feelings. Our feelings are the arbiter of truth. That's one reason I'm so concerned about things like the so-called Asbury Revival. And now we got like 30 uh, Christian colleges across the country that are doing the same thing. No preaching, all hypnotic music, all the same garbage, and you better not even question. That's nothing but touchy-feely nonsense. Guess what the Antichrist is going to do when he gets here? He's going to take all that emotion, all that sensuality, and steer it whichever way he wants to. The devil loves emotion apart from truth. He loves it. That's where he lives. That's why we're commanded to worship God in spirit and in truth. And so, the, you know, another thing too about these kind of prophecies and teachings and so-called miracles, this whole uh, NAR mentality, they can devastate people. What, what happens when the prophecy doesn't come true? What happens when the healing doesn't come? What happens when the breakthrough doesn't come? What happens when the money runs out? Did God lie? Is He unable to perform that which was promised? This is confusion and God's not in it. God's not in it. Listen, the only radical righteousness that we need to be concerned about is found in the salvation of the gospel where He regenerates dead sinners who put their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and His finished work on the cross and His resurrection. And Paul leaves us with a very important question. I'm going to read this and I'm done. Look at verse 20. He closes with a question. He says, Wherefore, if you be dead with Christ from the rudiments of the world, why, as though living in the world, are you subject to ordinances? Touch not, taste not, handle not, which alter to perish with the using after the commandments and doctrines of men, which things have indeed a show of wisdom and all and will worship and humility and neglecting the body, not in any honor to the satisfying of the flesh. Paul is basically saying, if Christ has set you free from these things, then why do you voluntarily enlist yourself in their slavery? It makes no sense. Christ is the fulfillment of the law on our behalf, and He is the express image of God. We are completing Him. Now go and live free. Don't be subjected to the wolves. Subject yourself to the truth. The truth is what sets us free. We're enslaved by lies. This world is full of so many charlatans that claim to have power they don't have and authority they don't have. This is our authority. This is. And so if we're not careful, we'll walk around in a confused Christianity that either subjects itself to a religious righteousness subjected to all these rules or radical righteousness has all this supernatural hocus-pocus and God's not in either one of them. Live free in the gospel. Would you stand this morning as she comes?